بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله we are so lucky so fortunate so blessed to be given this opportunity to perform Salatul Fajr in the masjid and then to sit here to be here thinking about talking about discussing Masjid Al-Aqsa, Baytul Maqdis, Palestine, and the concern generally for the Ummah at large. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept everybody's attendance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to continue, inshaAllah. This will be the first of many for those who are here for the first time. And those who are here regularly, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept uh, your attendance today. And may Allah allow us to continue doing whatever is within our capacity for this blessed and noble cause. Um, just to give us a bit of context into what we're trying to do and why and why it's important when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Prophet Adam alayhi salam as the first person what's the purpose of humanity why, why are we here in this world okay Quran says we're here for worship now when Allah created Adam alayhi salam one of the first things that happened in this world is that Allah told him to go and build the Kaaba because the whole world and its existence was here in this world for the sake of Allah's worship and for Allah's worship to be established we've got a one symbol in the world and that is the Kaaba so Adam alayhi salam goes and he builds the Kaaba and that's a sign of Allah's worship as long as the Kaaba remains in the world the purpose of this world will continue to function we all know a time is going to come before Qiyamah when the Kaaba will be destroyed demolished meaning Islam will be demolished, destroyed, meaning the world will be demolished, destroyed. We all know this. Now, up until this, everyone kind of follows and agrees and understands. But it didn't stop here. Forty years later, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Adam salam to build a second house on earth. There was already one. But now 40 years later, which in those days, 40 years is nothing, because Prophet Adam salam lived almost for a thousand years. So 40 years is nothing. In that period so he builds the Kaaba the Kaaba being the symbol of Allah's worship on earth as long as the Kaaba is there the whole world will be protected Islam is protected 40 years later he's been told now to build the Masjid Al-Aqsa now the purpose of building Masjid Al-Aqsa is for that house will be protecting the first house the second house is there to protect the job and the criteria and the role of the first house what's the role of the first house What's his role? Okay, it's to establish worship in the world. So for guidance of mankind, the worship, to establish worship in the world, we need that first house to be standing. As long as that will be alive, standing, live and kicking, the world will be flourishing with Islam. As long as that's gone, what's going to happen? Islam will be gone. So we need to protect the Kaaba. That is our duty. Every Muslim's duty is to protect the Kaaba. Now in order to protect that Kaaba, meaning protect Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had this second house built, which we refer to as Masjid al-Aqsa. Original name, Baytul Maqdis. Allah revealed the verses and calls it Masjid al-Aqsa. Why is Aqsa called Aqsa? Aqsa means the furthest. Meaning from Mecca, 
Okay, it was the furthest mosque when it comes to these three masjids. Masjid al-Haram, Masjid al-Nabawi, and then Masjid al-Aqsa. So in comparison to these three, from Mecca, this one will be the furthest away from the three. So this is called Masjid al-Aqsa. Original name, Baytul Maqdis. Now the second house has been built, Masjid al-Aqsa, to protect the first one. Now, as long as Masjid al-Aqsa is safe, is protected, the first house, the Kaaba, meaning Islam, will be safe and protected, not just in Mecca, throughout the world. But as long as there is danger in Masjid al-Aqsa, we will see danger here, meaning danger in the whole of the Muslim world. So this is why the scholars have mentioned, look in history, if you find that the conditions surrounding Masjid al-Aqsa are good, Muslims are good, worship is good, and the condition and the safety of Masjid al-Aqsa is good, you will find Islam will be good throughout the world. And if you find that the condition in Masjid al-Aqsa and Masjid al-Aqsa itself is under threat, it's under danger, it's going through the stages of occupation like it is now, you will find the Kaaba will be the same under occupation and so will be the Muslim world and the Muslims at large and Islam will be at threat. And we can see that very clearly even now as well. So the duty now is for every believer is to protect Masjid al-Aqsa. If you, if you love the Kaaba, people kind of say, you know, with more affiliation to the Kaaba, to the Hajj, to Makkah. Yes, we should have because that is the first house, most significant and holiest place. However, in order to protect that house, to protect the duty and the function of that house, this is a system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this house must be protected. And this is why every prophet was made to come here. The Mi'raj took place from here to show the significance and the importance and the Prophet and Sahaba prayed towards here for so many years, even when they were by the Kaaba. Even when they were by the Kaaba, they were praying towards Masjid al-Aqsa for so many years to show the significance and the importance of this second house. As long as this second house will be looked after, it will be safeguarded, its function is protected, the first house will be protected, thus Islam will be protected. But as long as we find danger here, we'll find danger in the whole of Islam. So the duty of every Muslim is now to protect this second house, number one. Number two, how do we protect the second house? The way we protect the second house, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, Masjid al-Aqsa, Baytul Maqdis will go through two phases, one of Salah and one of Fasad. Salah means righteousness, Fasad means corruption. Meaning as long as Muslims have Salah and righteousness within themselves, as long as we have that within ourselves, Allah's assistance will be with us to protect Masjid Al-Aqsa, thereafter to protect the Kaaba, to protect Ibadah and Islam throughout the world. But if corruption creeps into us as individuals, as a community, as a nation, what will happen? We will see corruption around Masjid Al-Aqsa and then we will see corruption around the Haram, meaning corruption in Islam and Muslims throughout the world. And this is it's a simple balance of Allah. This is Allah's system. This is what we call the system of Allah. Allah will, and throughout history, whether, whenever Muslims were surrounding that place and there were people of salah, the people of righteousness, Allah's help was with them. And when corruption came within them, what happened? Masjid al-Aqsa was taken away from them and given to somebody else. And this will keep happening until the day of judgment. We speak about the Bani Israel in the Quran, Allah tells us the same thing. That they were told that this will be your place, this was the place you're migrating to. 
But when corruption crept in, into them, what happened? It was taken away from them and given to others. Allah told them that there's going to be two great moments of corruption that will take place. And you'll be totally annihilated. And this will happen in history. Bani Israel, despite all of their privileges, because of the corruption that crept within them. So the solution is, as individuals, each man for themselves, first of all, and we all make a nation together, is that I need to become a better person. If I want Masjid Al-Aqsa to be liberated, if I want the situation of Masjid Al-Aqsa to improve, first of all, I need to improve because we all play a huge part. Everyone is part of this jigsaw. We can't hope for the liberation of Baytul Maqdis, but I'm going to carry on living my life the way I want. Because what I do makes a big difference. Because Quran says, Allah will never change the situation of a people until people don't change themselves. If we want the situation to become better, we have to first, this is why we have the great Fajr campaign. Why? Because they say, if the number of people that come for Jummah start coming for Fajr, will automatically start seeing a change. That doesn't mean we don't take any active steps. We carry on. But this in itself is so powerful because if people are not fulfilling the obligations upon them, how can we expect the help and the assistance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is the idea behind the great Fajr campaign. That towards the liberation of Baytul Maqdis, number one, we need salah, we need righteousness. And from righteousness, the most basic deed is five times salah. And from the salah, generally the one that is neglected is Salatul Fajr. So if we can get mass numbers of people to get into the masajid for Salatul Fajr, even the non-Muslims have said that we're not worried about, we're not worried about anything. Yeah, when we start seeing the number of people that you have in Jummah, that many people in Fajr, that's when we'll start getting worried. That is when we'll think, right, things are going to change. Even they have said this. So this is the idea and this is what happens in Masjid Al-Aqsa every Friday uh, at Fajr time, the Great Fajr campaign. And people try to bring as many people as possible because that's their day off. Okay, as many people as possible, all their family members, men, women, children, everybody to attend uh, uh, with this hope that we can bring righteousness within us and Allah turns the tables. I give you a short example, a little story. You know, there was an Imam who woke up in the morning and uh, it was Juma, and he had to prepare his Juma khutbah, his talk. And it's not an easy task, believe me, um, especially when you have to do it every week. It's not, you know, the first thing is, what, should you, what do you talk about? What topic? That's probably the hardest part. Um, so he woke up extra early thinking, nobody's awake, no distractions. He runs down the stairs, he goes into his study, he pulls out some of his books, and he's, he's, he's like scratching his head thinking, what shall I talk about, what shall I talk about, what shall I discuss with the people today? And he's looking through one book, and looking through another book. But he's happy because he knows he's got the time, and he's got the freedom, no distractions. Whilst he's doing this, okay, his three-year-old kid, he hears, jumping down the stairs, right? And comes straight into the room and he thinks, oh no. And he jumps from one sofa to the other, grabs one book, takes the other pen, and he's running around. And he's thinking, what, now what? Okay, I thought today was a day when I had a bit of time, peace, no distractions, and I could have prepared my khutbah in a very easy way. 
But now I'm distracted and I have to entertain him. If I don't entertain him, I'm not going to be able to entertain myself. So he starts to think, what shall I do? So he looked around and he saw there was a magazine. There's a magazine and um, he had the, uh, there was one page and he had a world map on it. World map. So he thought, I know what to do. Let's keep him busy. So he tears that page out of the magazine and he tears it into a few pieces. Okay, he mixes it up and he thinks this is a good little jigsaw puzzle. It's going to keep him busy. So he goes, come on kid, here. He, this is a uh, uh, productive engagement. He didn't just put on the TV or give him the iPad or something. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll keep him engaged in a productive way. So he puts it down and says, come on, try and build, make, make this jigsaw. So the kid gets busy. Imam Sab thinks, I've got plenty of time. He doesn't know. He doesn't have a clue what Europe and America and Asia and all that is, right? And it's going to baffle him. So he gets straight into his books. He just about turns a page or two and he goes, Dad, kid goes, Dad, Dad, I've done it. And it's done. Fully complete. All the pieces are in order and the whole world map and the father, the Imam is shocked. Think, how do you, you you've not even been to school. You don't know what America is, what Australasia is, what Asia is, what Europe is. You don't know any parts of this world, of, of the world. How do you manage to get it all together so perfectly without any mistakes within a few seconds? Even I couldn't do that knowing all the countries. So he goes, that, that's easy. He goes, why? What did you do? He goes, well, on the other side, there was a picture of a man. Okay, so I put the head and then the arms, put the body, put the legs, turned it around and it was all done. So the Imam goes, MashaAllah, he goes, you've given me the topic for today. And that is if the man is correct, the whole world is correct. If the man is corrupt, the whole world is corrupt. And this is what Quran is telling us. Allah will not change the situation until people don't change themselves. And this is something we have to get. If we don't get this point, we're going to aimlessly, people are going to be chanting slogans. They're going to be, and, and this is what happens. People are chanting, free, free Palestine. And the Mu'addin says, Hayya ala salah. And this guy is still saying, free, free Palestine. And the salah is going on, but this guy is saying, free, free Palestine. There's, there's a system in place that Allah wants us to follow. And it's easy some of the, sometimes to chant and to go and to protest and to march. And all of these things is easy. But what Allah wants us to do, is Allah wants to see righteousness. And this is the system of Allah. Salah and Fasad. This is the balance. When there will be Salah, that is guaranteed the divine help of Allah will come. But when there will be Fasad and corruption, we will see that Allah will take His help away. Yes, some people ask, some people ask that all these qualities that you mentioned of Salah, of Taqwa, of Iman, like are we ever going to see this on a mass level in the world? Like we're going towards corruption. Each day is worse than the day before. And are we, is, a is a time ever going to come where people are going to really become so pious and then we expect the help of Allah to come? How long is it going to take? Okay, it doesn't seem very likely that it's going to happen because there's more and more corruption. So number one, number one is that does not mean that we stop working towards Salah. Because Allah is going to ask me not about everybody else. I can do what's within my capacity to become a better person. Okay, no one's telling you to become like Abdul Qadir Jilani or Hassan Al Basri or Rabia Basriya. Okay, you do what's within your capacity. Fattakullaha Quran says, have taqwa as much as you can. 
That's the first thing. Second thing, Mawlana Umar Palanpuri Rahmatullah used to say very beautifully, and he used to talk about these end of time events. And when somebody asked him a similar question, he goes, that is the system of Allah of Adl. Allah has these three systems. One is Dhulm, one is Adl, and one is Fadl. Dhulm, Allah says, I've made it haram upon myself. Inni haramtu dhulm ala nafsi wa ja'altuhu baynakum muharraman falatubalim. Oh my people, I've made oppression haram upon myself. You people shouldn't oppress anybody as well. So Allah never oppresses. That's the first thing, oppression. Allah never oppresses. Then you've got justice. Allah's system of, this is the normal system of Allah. Tit for tat. You do good, I'll give you good. You do bad, you'll get bad. This is Allah's normal system in the world. That's how the whole world operates. He operates on justice. This is Allah's, we call it the sunnah of Allah. We call it the way of Allah, the method of Allah. There's different names for it. Okay, fitrat Allah. Allah's, this is nature. Okay, this is the natural way. This is cause and effect. Simple, all of these words mean the same thing. Cause and effect this is the world. You do this, you get this. You don't do this, you don't get that. This is Allah's normal system. And then you get something which is called the fadl of Allah, the grace of Allah. Mawlana says that at the end of times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then, He goes, apne, Allah apne adal ke mu'amala se hatkar, apna fazl ka mu'amala farmayenge. Because Allah will move away from the system of justice and He'll go to the system of grace. Where despite people not having the required qualities, Allah will still assist them divinely, but that will be towards the end of times. So we shouldn't lose hope that when is it going to happen? Is it, we know it is going to happen. Allah's help will come. We have to carry on working towards this. So this is why we are trying to get together here. Because when we get together, number one, uh, one is we were able to perform salah. Okay, and that is something that we need to do anyway. Without salah in our lives, Allah promises that He's not going to give you anything. Okay, when, when, when people look at the, the, the ownership of the land, the khilafah, this, all of these things people try. The scholars say these, these things are not given. These things are not taken, sorry. These things are not taken. They're given by Allah. Allah says, And the first thing Allah says when Allah takes away this privilege, why Quran says, the first thing Allah says in the Quran, because they discarded the performance of salah. And they followed their desires. This is why Allah took away the land being subservient and beneath them. So if we want these things, the first thing is to come onto the path of righteousness. And the pillar of righteousness is salah. May Allah give us the ability. So first of all, the first benefit is that we can come and perform salah. Without salah, we're not going to get anywhere. Number one. Number two is so that we can make dua and we can continue our, our concern, our learning for Masjidul Aqsa. Number three, we need to become righteous ourselves. So this is why we spare a few moments coming together at the most spiritual time of the day. Because Quran says, in the Quran al-Fajri kana mashhuda. That the, when the Quran is recited in Salatul Fajr or the whole of Salatul Fajr, this is a time when every single angel is present. Angels of the day, angels of the night, all of them are here and they are present. There's no more spiritual time. Uh, alongside this, we spare a few moments to read the Quran, do some dhikr, make dua, and then we're here as a community together. All of these things put together, inshallah, will help towards this. This is a stepping stone. If we can't come onto this, 
Okay, these basic things which we need in our lives. We need a boost of spirituality. We need to be reading some Quran. We need to be making some sort of dhikr. We need to be making some sort of dua and having this connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is like the first step before we get anywhere else. So we make dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the ability to continue. But now our task is to ensure that we invite and bring other people along because it's not going to work with just a small group of people. The idea is we want not just one masjid, we want every masjid to become full, okay, for all of the salah. Because this is when we'll see the tables change, turning and situation changing. It will happen, it's not impossible. We shouldn't think, oh, how's that going to happen? That's ridiculous. No, it's, it always ha starts off small. It can happen, of course it can happen. But it's upon me. If I want it to happen, first of all, I have to bring that change within myself. They say, be the change you want to see in others. People talk about, people talk about change. People talk about a revolution. People talk about, you know, a whole, you know, everything, you know, this, they should be doing this, and so-and-so should be doing this, and that country, and that government, and, 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 and this organization. Change starts from within, by yourself. I can't control anybody else, but I can control myself. If I can't start myself, how am I expecting the whole world to come? Uh, so this is the first thing that we need to make an effort is how can I do it and then the people around me and it's very easy when we start calling other people slowly 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 what will happen is we'll become stronger many of you must have this throughout this week or the last few days been encouraging other people to attend today they might not be here but you're here okay those of you who made an effort to call other people they might not be here but you're here and this carries on happening inshallah don't give up don't stop Prophet Nuh alayhi salam, 950 years. He didn't give up. People put the fingers in their ears. People covered their faces. Okay. Well, at least he was saved at the end of the day. He's done his job. He's not going to lose. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, even regarding those people who were destined for the hellfire, who are never going to believe Quran. Says, There's certain people, no matter how much you anzartahum, Everyone's heard this ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah. Quran says, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's the same for them. He didn't say it's the same for you. Whether you warn them or you don't warn them, they're not going to believe. He didn't say it's the same for you. Meaning, he carried on warning them. Because you will continue getting the reward and you'll continue benefiting. They might not get the guidance, but that's not my duty. My duty is to call, is to invite, is to try and make other people understand. If they follow, Alhamdulillah. If they don't, well, I still get the reward. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Now, when we get together each week, we try and share one lesson uh, regarding Masjid al-Aqsa. And at the moment, we are on lesson number... The last two weeks ago was lesson number 42. Okay, so Alhamdulillah, we've been doing this for almost a year now. I think it has been a year, hasn't it? And Ramadan as well. It's been a full year, Alhamdulillah. May Allah accept and allow us to continue, inshallah. And it's because of the consistency of Brother Adil and the rest of his team 
that Alhamdulillah we're still here. Otherwise, I probably would have given up like a long time ago. But they've kept it going, mashallah. Um, and Alhamdulillah we're still here. So, lesson 42 was the last one. Um, we normally do a recap, but we won't do it today. But from next week, we'll do a recap, inshallah. So, remember what we've spoken about. So, today is lesson 43. So, our topic of discussion is how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam planted the love of Masjid al-Aqsa in the hearts of the Ummah. That, that is what we're talking about. And where we moved on from a general discussion to the connection between Sahaba and Masjid al-Aqsa. And what, what number is it for Sahaba? Today's 17. So we've done 16 sessions on speaking about um, the Sahaba and Baytul Makhdis, the Sahaba and Masjid al-Aqsa. So today is number 17. And we started off by speaking about those Sahaba um, who led armies. No, before that we spoke about, um, what was the first category we spoke about? Hmm? Those who led armies? Uh, okay, so those who led armies in uh, Masjid al-Aqsa, Palestine, who actually were leaders of the armies. So we spoke about them for quite a while actually. Now we've moved on to speaking about those Sahaba who took part in the conquest of Jerusalem with Umar bin Khattab We all know the famous story how Umar who came to conquer Jerusalem. So with him, he wasn't alone. Many Sahaba took part as well. So we're just listing some of them. This is not an exhaustive list. We can't sit here and talk about all of them. So we're going through some of them. We've done three. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. Then Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. And last week we spoke about, last two weeks ago, Bilal bin Rabah, Zabilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Okay, today's Sahabi. Today's Sahabi is called Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Hudafa al-Sahami radiallahu anhu. Abdullah bin Hudafa. Maybe a lot of us have not heard this name before. Abdullah bin Hudafa radiallahu anhu. And now his story is very interesting. Um, in terms of his connection to Baytul Maqdis, the only thing I've come across is that he took part in the conquest of Jerusalem with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Anything else I've not come across and I don't think there's much documented. So it, as far as his connection goes to Baytul Maqdis, he took part in the conquest. But in regards to his personal story, it's quite interesting. So I'm just going to share uh, an incident from his life. Now, what's very unique about this particular Sahabi is that he was, he was sent to face the two greatest superpowers of the time. Which were they? Okay, the Persian and the Byzantine, the Roman Empire. When the Prophet ﷺ sent a letter inviting the emperors and their empires to Islam, one of the letters was sent to Kisra. Who's Kisra? You've got Qaisar and you've got Kisra. Who's Kisra? The Persian emperor is Kisra. So who was chosen to take this letter? This Sahabi, Abdullah bin Hudafa. So he's been chosen, right, to go and present this letter. Now remember, there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ says, the greatest form of jihad is speaking the truth in front of a tyrant ruler. Because you, you might think you're not fighting, you've got no sword, 
you're not in a battle. But the Prophet says, this is the best form of jihad. Why? Because you've gone to that tyrant ruler and you're speaking the truth. You're saying things as they are. And what's going to happen? This fear of your life. He could, he could just finish you off straight away. And he was faced with the two greatest superpowers and their emperors, both of them. And that's quite unique about him. So he is sent with this letter to go to Kisra, the Persian emperor, and present him the invitation to Islam from the Prophet ﷺ. When he reaches there, the guard of the emperor, he comes and he says, give me the letter. He goes, no. My prophet sent me to give this in hand to the emperor himself. And I'm not going to give it to you. I'm only going to give it to the emperor himself. And he goes into the company of Kisra and Kisra sitting on his throne. And he says, what's this? And he presents the letter. And the Prophet ﷺ sent a letter. Aslim Taslam. Okay. Accept Islam and you'll be safe. You'll be safe. And if you don't, if you do accept Islam, you'll be safe. And all these people that will follow you, you'll get the reward of their Islam as well. And if you don't follow, then all the people's sin will be on you as well because you're the responsible person. Do you know what Kisra did to the letter? Anybody know what he did to the letter? He ripped it into pieces. He took it and he ripped it into pieces. He actually ripped it into pieces. And imagine Abdullah bin Huzafa standing right there. Okay, it wasn't an easy task. He actually ripped it. And, and, and that's quite, I mean, nobody does that. Even if you don't agree with it, okay, that's, you know, just ripping the, the, the message of the messenger in that way is highly disrespectful. So he ripped it to pieces. And Abdullah bin Hudafa radiallahu was standing right there. He stayed firm. He did not flinch. And then from there, he comes back. And he tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, May Allah rip him and his total empire like he ripped my letter to pieces. And what happens? The whole Persian empire in at the hands of the Muslims, okay, during the time of Umar radiallahu he was ripped to pieces. This is why the Shia hate Umar radiallahu One of you know why why they're swearing this whole movie of Lady of Heaven and they're speaking about Umar Naudu Billah, Naudu Billah, Naudu Billah being the murderer of Fatima radiallahu anha, that he came and he burnt the house and he made her miscarriage and all of this. One of the reasons why they have so much enmity towards him. Because on the hands of Umar bin Khattab radiallahu Allah fulfilled this prophecy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam of ripping the whole of the Persian empire into pieces. So this, you know, this kind of uh, irks them quite a lot. And they've gone on to this, uh, this, this way of just cursing him. More on that later, inshallah. Um, so this is one task he does. And we see how they were destroyed. And then... The Prophet ﷺ passes away. We find at the time of Umar uh, Abdullah bin Hudafa is sent. He's dispatched in an army to fight the Romans. So it's the Byzantine army. And as they're going, um, a group of Muslims are captured. The Romans or the Byzantines, they capture a whole group of Muslims. From amongst them, their leader is Abdullah bin Hudafa. He accepted Islam quite early on. So he's an early Muslim. So he's been captured. Now, Heracl, Heraclius comes to him and says to him, now in this book, you've got the Persian emperor, now you've got the Roman emperor. He's dealing head on with the Roman emperor. He says to him, let's make a deal. I will give you half of my kingdom, 
Half of my kingdom will go halves, 50-50. Just accept Christianity. That's it. Leave Islam, become a Christian, and I'll give you half of my kingdom. Abdullah bin Hudafa stands up to him and he says, even if you were to give me your whole kingdom and the kingdom of all of the Arabs, I will not leave the deen of Muhammad for the blink of an eye. This is what he says to him. Now imagine speaking up like that. Okay, this wasn't something small. You give me your whole kingdom and all of the rulership of the Arabs, even for a blink of an eye, I will not turn away from my religion. So the emperor thinks, okay, if it's like that, throw him into prison. They throw him into prison and leave him there for days. Now they think of different ways to try and convert him, to try and uh, phase him, to try and weaken him. After days of being in the prison, they decide to send a very beautiful woman to go in, to strip naked, to dance in front of him, and to try and entice him in this way. So she goes in. She does all, all her prancing around. And he's there, just getting along with his thing. And she tries in different ways to seduce him. And after some time, she comes out and she says, who is that guy inside? Is he a human or a stone? Since the time I went in there, he didn't even look at me. Then they think that didn't work. So then they decide to starve him. We're not going to give him any food, any drink. No food is given to Abdullah bin Hudhafa. No drink is given to Abdullah bin Hudhafa. Radiallahu anhu. And then the emperor comes to him again and says to him, accept Christianity. And he refuses. He says, accept Christianity. He says, refuses. He goes, look, just accept Christianity. We'll give you food. Not interested. I will not leave my religion even for one second, let alone accepting it as a religion. After days of starvation, they decide to send in food. They send in pork and wine. So this is how we're going to come to you. And when they present it to him, he's starving at this time, right? He's gone through hunger. He's gone through thirst. He's starving. Islamically, according to the Quran, he's allowed to eat it. Because Quran says, if you're in a state of desperation to save your life, you can have a bite or two of something that's haram or drink something that's haram just to preserve your life. And he said, you know what? I'm actually allowed to have this. But just to protect the honor of my religion, I don't want you guys making a mockery out of me and telling the world that, look, you know, we're a Muslim captive eating pork and wine to protect the honor of not my honor, the honor of Islam. I'm not going to touch it. And he didn't touch it. They thought they would be able to entice him into Christianity through this. He doesn't touch it. He doesn't eat it. Then they decide to bring him out. They drag him out and get a massive cauldron and they fill this cauldron with oil. And they boil it and it's actually boiling and they call two muslim prisoners that they have two other muslim prisoners and they take one person and they throw him inside and he sees with his his eyes he sees them frizzling and melting to death right in front of his eyes and then the king says to him now accept christianity because if you don't this is what's going to happen to you he says no i do not accept I reject your call for Christianity. I am a Muslim. I will remain a Muslim. So then they say to him, look, we'll have no other choice but to throw you in there as well. He goes, fine, if that's the case. So they, they tie his hands, they tie his feet, and they take him towards the burning oil. And they, they ask him again, look, accept Christianity, everything will be fine. You'll have my kingdom as well. He's not, not interested. They go, fine. They're about to push him inside 
and when he gets to the edge, he starts to cry. The emperor gets excited. He thinks, wow, we've done it. We've, we've, we've cracked him now. Okay, this is the moment we were waiting for. Okay, and now he's cracked. So they, they call him back, call him back. He says, accept Christianity. He goes, no way. Because you were just crying a second ago. You were just crying a second ago. We thought you've accepted now. And you've submitted to our request. Because you guys are idiots. Because why, why were you crying then? He goes, the only reason I was crying is Allah has given me just one life. And I saw that that one life was about to end. And I was crying because I wish Allah had given me lives according to the hair on my body. Each one I would have given away for the sake of Allah on this Islam. Then they understood that this was no normal person. This was a Sahabi of the Prophet Even the emperor was so moved by what he said. He goes, fine, fine. You want to go, I'll release you. Just kiss me here. Kiss my forehead and I'll release you. Now this wasn't something where he was compromising his religion. These are intelligent people. These are sharp people. They know which move to make and which move not to take. Okay, they know when to compromise and when not to compromise. They know what to compromise and what not to compromise. He goes, fine, I will do it. However, the condition is, you don't just release me. You release all of the Muslim prisoners that you have. And the king, he was full, so full of himself. He goes, fine, I will, I'll do it. You kiss me here and all the Muslim prisoners, I'll free them. So Abdullah bin Hudafa stands up. He goes and kisses uh, the emperor, the Byzantine emperor on the forehead and him and all of the Muslim prisoners are released. And when they get to Medina Munawwara, they relate this incident to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar radiallahu ta'ala stands up and he calls Abdullah bin Hudafa and kisses him on his forehead. And he says, every single Muslim who ever sees him must kiss him on his forehead. And one Sahabi after they, they're all queuing up and they're kissing the forehead of Abdullah bin Hudafa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This is, this is, this shows you, this shows you what kind of group from the Prophet prepared? These are the individuals he prepared. Okay, people who, 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 were, who were not phased. Okay, they were so firm. They were so established on what they believed in. You couldn't, you couldn't shake them. You, couldn't, you know, we like, something happens and we like kind of just compromise our whole religion, our whole faith, our whole name. We go through this huge identity crisis. We, we don't even want to be known as Muslim anymore. Like we want to change our name, shorten it, abbreviate it. Okay, not get seen in certain places. Seeing oh, what they're going to do, what they're going to say. These people, they didn't care. They believed in something and they lived it. And they showed it. And nothing in the world, even the superpowers of the world, could take that away from them. What's the lesson we learn from here? What, do we, what are we taking from here? Because each week we have a campaign. And that is throughout the week we want to try and bring this, the life lesson practically inshallah into our lives. What do we learn from here? From the life and the story of Abdullah bin Hudafa radiallahu ta'ala To be firm on what you believe. He didn't flinch. To be firm on what you believe. And this is our campaign for this week. Practice this throughout the week. Whenever you are tested, no. To be firm, I believe in this, I'm firm on this. And nothing and no one in the world can change me from that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Give us a tawfiq. Now, inshallah, we'll give a few moments to recite the Quran. Reciting Surah Yasin at the start of the day guarantees that we'll have a good day in front of us. It's the heart of the Quran. We need to strengthen our hearts as well.
Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. One of the ways to keep ourselves connected to Masjid al-Aqsa Baytul Maqdis is by following the news. And this is something anyone concerned should do. Otherwise, if we only follow the news when, it's, when the media decides to show it, then it will be basically just hype. Everyone's excited will be excited. Everyone's calm down will calm down as well. Whereas there's something happening constantly all the time. And by following that, it keeps you concerned. So what we do now is we just share one or two news articles just to keep us in the loop so we can continue our concern and we can continue our dua at the least and it keeps us up to date as well. 1691. It's not my password. 1691. That is the number of extremist settlers that broke into Masjid al-Aqsa just in the past week. That's a large number. 1691. And you notice that the numbers are going higher and higher and higher. 1,691. Just in the year 2021, there were 34,500 extremist settlers that broke into Masjid al-Aqsa in 2021. In 2020, there were 19,000. Can you see the numbers? Okay, although I think because of COVID, that's why it was lower because the year before was 29,000. Even then, if we take that year, 29,000 and 34,500, you can see a huge jump in the numbers. So just this one week alone, 1691. Okay, that's, that's, that's huge. That's a, that's a very large number. Do you think that many Muslims came from different parts of the world in one week? I, I, I don't know, maybe not. Okay. Uh, and, and these are people who are breaking into Masjid al-Aqsa and going there and now very openly carrying out Talmudic rituals, carrying out their own sujood, um, collective prayer, chanting the Israeli anthem, and then conducting marriages, delivering courses, distributing certificates, wearing provocative t-shirts, saying they're going to destroy Masjid al-Aqsa, dancing. We had this week, we had them dancing inside Masjid al-Aqsa as well, dancing clearly and saying, we're going to burn this mosque, we're going to destroy it. It's not going to be anymore. So all of this is happening whilst Palestinians are being restricted and they, their entry is barred. They are distanced from Masjid al-Aqsa and, and the list goes on. And again, I always repeat this, the reason why we share this is so that we can continue our concern. It's not to make us despondent and think, oh, what are we going to do about it? Okay. The, yes, there's a lot we can do and we can start off by having the concern and making dua. That's the least we can do. And then raising awareness. And the reason why this is happening, okay, is because we've neglected and discarded Masjid al-Aqsa. I was just discussing with some brothers whilst we were away this week in Aqsa. And I was saying that, imagine there was no occupation, right? Maybe we wouldn't even talk about Masjid al-Aqsa, right? Masjid al-Aqsa is not just about the occupation. It's not just about the brutality and these attacks and incursions and what's happening in the Gaza. That's all there. But what about the virtues, the significance, the history and the blessings? That, that was there then and it's still there now. So the way towards liberating Masjid al-Aqsa is through knowledge. Because if people don't know 
then they won't care about it. And that's one of the reasons why people are not so concerned about what's happening. Because they simply don't know. I don't know. I'll put it down to that. I don't know. If you don't know the value of something, okay, then it doesn't matter. You could have a precious stone and not know its value and sell it for £10. Whereas it was a diamond worth a million pounds. You didn't know the value. So you don't care. If somebody steals it, oh, it's all right. Somebody came and stole it. Somebody scratched it. Okay. It's okay. It's, it's only a tenner. I can replace it. And this is what's happened with... It's only another masjid. It's only a masjid. It's, 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 you know, it's happening. What can we do about it? But had people known the true value of it, put the occupation to a side, put the brutality to a side, because we've got this image. You say Palestine, you say Masjid al-Aqsa, people just immediately think of killing, of bombs, of attacks. That's not what Masjid al-Aqsa is, okay? That's the occupation. And we've got this in our mind. Masjid al-Aqsa, when you say Masjid al-Aqsa, immediately in your mind you should be filled with history, virtues, baraka, anbiya, revelation of the divine messages, the miracles, there's so much. But that doesn't come to mind. So this is the first thing. Why we discuss this is that we learn and study more and more to create the value and the importance of this place so that we can do something about it. And it's not just hype. When something happens on the news, we're active. When it doesn't, then we're inactive. May Allah give us a tawfiq. Inshallah, we conclude with some dhikr and dua. And then ishraq, breakfast is served for all, inshallah, upstairs after uh, ishraq, inshallah. Recite the Rusul of Allah, Muslim, and I'll say the name of the Lord. La ilaha illallah 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 la ilaha
سبحان الله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله 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 العظيم استغفر الله 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 
الله الله الله الله الله الله لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جز الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله O kind Allah O loving Allah O most merciful Allah, O most compassionate Allah, O most forgiving Allah, O Allah, we beg you for our forgiveness, O Allah. Please forgive our sins, O Allah. O Allah, you love to forgive sins, O Allah. You are so kind and so merciful, O Allah. You are so loving and so compassionate, O Allah. You don't want to see any of us burn in the hellfire, O Allah. O Allah, forgive us, O Allah. If you forgive us, O Allah, you will not lose anything, O Allah, but we will gain everything, O Allah. We beg for your forgiveness, O Allah, in this blessed gathering, O Allah, in these blessed moments, O Allah. We beg for your forgiveness, O Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O Allah. Help us to stay away from your disobedience, O Allah. Create the hatred of sins in our hearts, O Allah. Help us to obey you, O Allah. Make your obedience easy for us, O Allah. Make us people of taqwa, O Allah. Grant us your fear, O Allah. Make us punctual on five times salah, O Allah. O Allah, accept our gathering here, O Allah. Accept it, O Allah. Accept it, O Allah. Accept everyone's struggle, O Allah. Make it easy for us to continue, O Allah. Allow us to come here, O oh Allah, on a weekly basis and share this concern for Masjid Al-Aqsa, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, give others the ability also, O oh Allah. Help us to revive the entire deen within our lives, O oh Allah, within our families, O oh Allah. Help us to revive the sunnah of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O oh Allah, we beg you to liberate Masjid Al-Aqsa, O oh Allah. Put an end to the occupation, O oh Allah. Help those who are resisting, O oh Allah. Grant them more strength, O oh Allah. Grant them steadfastness, O oh Allah. Help them to resist further, O oh Allah. Strengthen their Iman, O oh Allah. Strengthen their Islam, O oh Allah. O Allah, help them and keep them firm, O oh Allah. Protect them from, from all sides, O oh Allah. Safeguard us from all types of calamities, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant us khair, O oh Allah. Those who have left the world, fill their graves with nur, O oh Allah. We have a marhuma in the masjid, O oh Allah, who has passed away. O oh Allah, grant her forgiveness, O oh Allah. Elevate her status, O oh Allah. Grant sabr to her family members, O oh Allah. Make all the stages of the hereafter easy for her, O oh Allah. All our time is going to come when we all have to leave the world. We don't know where we will be, O oh Allah. What we will be doing at that time, O oh Allah. We beg you, O oh Allah, to shower your mercy on us, O oh Allah. In those final moments, O oh Allah. Make our last day our best day, O oh Allah. Make our final action our best action, O oh Allah. And grant us death with the kalima, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. O oh Allah, safeguard us from the fire of Jahannam, O oh Allah. And grant us entry into Jannah 
Firdaus, O Allah. Have mercy on our parents, O Allah. Look after our parents, O Allah. Take care of our parents like they did take care of us when we were young, O Allah. Those of our parents who have left the world, fill their graves with Noor, O Allah. Elevate their status on the hereafter, O Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillah.